coming out to you almost live from the most boring apocalypse in human Hey folks, history. thanks so much for coming back to listen. This is our brand new podcast. The Cottonmouth Club presents... The Cottonmouth Club presents, in which we talk all things bars, bartending spirits, cocktails, everything has to do with bars, all through the specific lens of hospitality, which is unique to this kind of place. Fuego! Fuego. Fuego. So we're continuing our series of Cowboy Storytime, read by Danny Furness in his cowboy voice and his Texas twang. Right now we're reading Gunman's Bluff by Max Brand, in which our intrepid gunslinger Cheyenne loses the use of his right hand, which is his shooting hand. Today we're reading part 10. But before we go on, I just want to remind everybody we are still bartenders, which means we do work for tips. So if you like what you're hearing, give some love to our tip jar on Venmo, at the Cottonmouth Club staff. That's Venmo, the Cottonmouth Club staff, the Cottonmouth Club dash staff. Every little bit helps. We appreciate everyone who's dropped a buck or two in our tip jar. All the money goes directly to the staff to keep them in food and everything else they need until we figure all this out. So without further ado, I'm passing you on to Danny Furness reading Gunman's Bluff. Thanks so much and stay tuned. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> So we've been doing this for a little while. You've seen a few, uh, I mean, we're, we're almost done. It's a short story. So uh, I think now we're doing part 10. 10. Part right, 10. Right, part 10. So uh, our hero, Cheyenne, has uh, has lost the use of his good right hand, which is his shooting hand, right? It's a shooting hand. So, uh, so, so where do we find Cheyenne at the moment, Danny? Well, he just took water from a certain Slip Martin. That's bad. Bad right. news, yeah. Well, I mean, things look pretty grim for Mr. Cheyenne there. He mm-hmm. hadn't heard from his lady. He uh, can't use his right hand. He just backed away from fight. Like and I, everybody I, knows it, too. I don't, I don't see how he's going to recover. Well, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Well, without further ado, let's, uh, let's continue on with the story. Danny, what do you think? Let's do it. Gunman's Bluff, Part 10. Every day, Cheyenne tried to leave Old Smokey. Every day, the thought of the outer world was poison in his brain. But on the evening of the third day... He went down the trail at last to make a third and final try at the post office in Crooked Foot. He came in from behind the building, waited until there was no one in sight, then walked in to ask. The postmaster was a cripple with a pale and sneering face. His deformity was in his eyes as well as in his body. You're John Jones, are you? He asked. He leaned forward a little to scan the man. You look big enough, he sneered. Then he threw a letter across the counter. It skidded down and hit the floor. Cheyenne said nothing. He picked up the letter and ripped it open. The address was in carefully formed, delicate writing. The brief note was written with the same school care, like a specimen for a copybook. Dear Mr. Jones or Cheyenne, I thought you were a man. The Martins have no use for cowards. Yours very truly, DM. Cheyenne came out into the early darkness with the paper in his hand. On the edge of the village, he read the thing again by matchlight. The matches kept shaking, and the paper kept shaking. He lighted a dozen matches, reading and rereading the brief note. I thought you were a man. The Martins have no use for cowards. That, he thought, was because she was a thoroughbred. Common people have common reactions. They are open to pity and foolishness. So was she until the crisis came. But in the pinch, she would show the steel. She was the sort to fill a man with gentle happiness. But in time of need, Would she not be as stern and strong as any man? She would be like a child among her children one day until the emergencies came, and then they would see her ready for battle. He could see the picture of her altering, her head raising, 
her eyes changing. The Martins have no use for cowards. And he had no use for a coward either. He pulled out the colt and put the cold, hard muzzle of it between his teeth. It was not fear that kept him from shooting, because everything was finished. His world was reduced to the horse that he rode on. But there was suddenly a good practical reason against this destruction of himself. Yonder there was that consummate traitor, Slip Martin. Big and brown, blue-eyed and handsome. He was famous in his world now. Would it not be better to die trying to repay Slip for that thing that had happened? For the perfection of Slip's treachery? The more he thought of this, the more convinced he became that it was the thing to do. Slip would kill him, of course. But if he could brace himself against the shock of the bullets, if he could stand straight against the wall so that the impact of lead would not knock him over this way and that, then he might, as he died, drive one bullet fired by the left hand through the heart of Slip. It was better to die trying. He turned the head of the mare toward Martindale, far away. As he rode, he tried to keep his mind off the letter from Dolly. It was well enough to call it the fine scorn of the thoroughbred, but there was another name for it also. Coward is strong language. After the cave and the dance in Martindale, coward was too strong. He put the letter inside his shirt. The crinkling of it there against his skin would help him, in the last moment, to stand straight against the wall and shoot back. So he drifted sideways slowly through the night. It seemed to him that there would remain only one regret when he stood against the wall and fought his last fight. That regret would be for sideways. Some other man would have her. When Cheyenne came into the town, he let the mare swing into a canter, because it was not his purpose to be spotted in some ray of lamplight and so have the alarm spread before he was ready for it. The scene of his death he had selected with care on the way from Old Smoky. It was to be in Jim Rafferty's saloon. He had had his beer in Rafferty's many a time, back in the days when he was only a youngster, a growing name. Rafferty had been a friend then. He was big, burly. He had been an ex-prize fighter. And at the end of the barroom there was a narrow blank wall. Against that wall, Cheyenne would stand and take whatever was coming to him. When he pulled up in front of Rafferty's, no other horses were standing at the racks. He got down through the reins. Why make sure that Sideways waited for him in that spot, or in any spot? And he lingered for an instant beside the good mare. There were enough splintered rays of lamplight to show him the outline of her head and the gleam of her eyes, like black glass. She and the girl were the only things that had ever stepped into his heart. She and the girl and Old Smokey. The girl had stepped out again of her own volition, although the bright ghost of her remained. But horses and mountains, they are things that a man can count on. Whatever love you give them, they give back. As a mirror by the nature that God bestowed on it must return all the light that falls on its face. If his life were not at an end, if he had a new start to make with two good hands, he would do things differently. But that, well, that was all gone. Everything was finished. So he rubbed the soft muzzle of the mare in farewell. He spoke a few foolish words over her, then walked into Rafferty's. Rafferty was not there. No one was in the barroom. It was empty. Empty as a coffin, say, with only the bright image of the bottles in the mirror behind the bar. He walked heavily to the bar. Rafferty came in from the back room, wiping a brightness of grease from around his mouth. He was still chewing, but his jaw stopped working as he looked at Cheyenne. You, eh? he said. How are you, Jim? asked Cheyenne, with that smile of his. Well, I'll be damned, said Rafferty. He came hastily around the bar and faced Cheyenne. His big jowls trembled with excitement. You know what town you're in? asked Rafferty. Good old Martindale. Well, I'll be damned, said Rafferty again. I hope not, said Cheyenne. Let's have a beer. 
A beer, muttered Rafferty. He drew one, ruled off the fine bubbles of the excess head. You have your beer, but I'll take a whiskey. I need it. He threw off his drink, filled his glass again, and emptied it the second time. Then he resumed his study of Cheyenne. This here bunk they've been telling me, said Rafferty. About, he waved his hand, about Crooked Foot. About Slip Martin. What's there in that? Slip Martin? You know what's being said? That I took water from Slip? By God, that's what they're saying, son. Knock me dead if that ain't what they're saying. Jim, you've been here long enough to remember Danny Martin. I knew the two-faced hombre, agreed Rafferty. You remember that he and Chuck Martin jumped me one night. I remember the night, all right. I remember where Danny dropped dead yonder, right in that corner. You're going to see another Martin die tonight, I think, said Cheyenne. Mind inviting him in? Who? Slip Martin. Is he in town? Yeah. Where would he be except swelling around this town, drinking the free drinks? You want him here? You mean it? Not if he's drunk, said Cheyenne. If he's sober, tell him that I'm waiting in here for him. Tell the other Martins, too. Rafferty tore off his bar apron. I've been sick at the stomach ever since I heard about Crooked Foot, he said. Cheyenne, what you say makes me feel like a man again. I'll get Slip. I'll get everybody. Leave it to me. And I'll frame your getaway afterward. There ain't gonna be no murder on top of this here fair fight. How about that? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like death by cop, except no cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're or sideways. A little sideways. I figure she'll wait. Uh, maybe. Maybe you go to the girl. So uh, that was part uh, part 10, Governor's mm-hmm. Bluff. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if you do like what you're hearing, then uh, remember we're bartenders and we, we do work for tips. So if you want to leave uh, something in our tip jar, we have set it up over at Venmo. Uh, if you like what you're hearing... Give some love to our tip jar on Venmo at Cottonmouth Club staff. Dope. Uh, uh, Venmo, that's uh, the Cottonmouth Club uh, dash staff. The Cottonmouth Club dash staff. That is the Cottonmouth Club dash staff. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the exciting conclusion uh, where we see what happens to Cheyenne when he's Mm -hmm. facing down Slip Martin and Rafferty's ball. Braced up at the wall.
Well, well. I mean, it's kind of like death by cop, except no cops. <laughs> I just feel bad for the horse. He just left her, you know, just left her to wander away. Good old sideways. I figure she'll wait. Uh, maybe, maybe you go to the girl. So uh, that was part uh, part ten, Governor's Bluff. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if you do like what you're hearing, then uh, remember we're bartenders and we we do work for tips. So if you want to leave uh, something in our tip jar, we have set it up over at Venmo. Uh, Danny, if people want to people want to people want to leave a buck or two in the tip jar, where would they go? Uh, uh, Venmo. That's uh, the Cottonmouth Club uh, dash staff. The Cottonmouth Club dash staff. That is the Cottonmouth Club dash staff. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the exciting conclusion, uh, where we see what happens to Cheyenne when he's facing down Slip Martin in Rafferty's bar. Raised up at the wall. All right, bud. <laughs>